this is it. Kingdom Kids is beginning today. So we're going to dismiss all of those children ages four to nine who would like to go. You don't have to go. You can stay here with us if you're more comfortable here. But ages four to nine, we've got a special time for you and a teachers and helpers who would love to have you go look at them go. All right. Um, some kids go back to the uh, foyer and they will be uh, taken across to our Christian Education Center. And just a reminder to parents, please pick those kids up right after the service. Um, that would be a way to serve those who are serving you right now to uh, pick up your kids right after the service. Invite the rest of you to join me in Romans chapter 12. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew not too far away, and uh, the, the page number is listed in the order of service in the worship folder. There's an outline on the back uh, to follow along with what we'll be doing this morning as we look at our passage. We've been working our way through this letter from Paul, the first great missionary of the Christian faith to the believers in the city of Rome in the first century A.D., written just decades after Jesus lived, died, rose again. We've, we've reached this passage at the end of chapter 12. It's a long list of short instructions, most of it having to do with various relationships. Last week, we looked at our relationship uh, with fellow believers from a selection of verses from this passage. Uh, if you missed that, I encourage you to go back and listen uh, online. Uh, find that through our website, YouTube channel, our relationship with fellow believers last week. Um, next week, we'll look at the relationship with those outside the church and specifically with those who oppose the faith. So that will get a little, little interesting. And then today, we get some short instructions for our relationship with God as we go through various circumstances of life. And we'll be focusing on verses 11 and 12. Now, something I didn't mention last week when we started this larger passage, uh, the original Greek in which this was written makes something clearer than uh, most of our English translations do, that the first line of this section, uh, verse 9, is something of a heading, uh, which means that the next few verses flesh out what that, this one says, let love be genuine, or more literally, without hypocrisy. There should be, we said this last week, there should be no masks, no putting on a face that says, I care, when underneath, you really don't. Or worse, hiding the fact that, that you're masking um, ulterior motives or self-serving agendas. That's not love. That's not the kind of love you want. You want a love that is honest, that is transparent, authentic, real. And that's the kind of love that God wants from you. In that light, let's read Romans 12, verses 11 and 12. Uh, we're going to do it aloud together, and in case we're working from different translations, it's just two short verses. They're going to be up on the screen here, so let's read together from the screen uh, these two verses, six short instructions. Together, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Now, I take those first three up there to be uh, something of a call to get going. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Take the next three as something of a call to keep going. 
Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. So you put all that together, verse 9, our heading, and here's our theme for the day. Here's the theme. A believer with a genuine love for God will get going and keep going. Let's tease that out through these six instructions. And since I've got six parts of the sermon, I better get going, right? Here we go. Won't take just, you know, just a few minutes, five minutes or so on each, on each one here. So the first one, get going. Do not be slothful in zeal. Now, Paul talked about zeal in the previous paragraph of verse, well, actually go back up to verse 6, where he says, believers in the life of the church, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us by God, let us use them, use those different gifts. And then he gives a list of examples, including one in verse 8 that says, the one who leads with zeal. Now, that, that in that context, was speaking to a certain group of individuals in the life of the church, those individuals gifted to lead. This here in verse 11 is addressing all of us uh, in whatever way that we serve in every aspect of our Christian life. And as I tried to clarify when we were looking at verse 8 a couple of weeks ago, this to, to have zeal is not that we are to be zealots, um, wild-eyed radicals. Um, verse 11 helps to, us to bring into focus what Paul does mean by zeal because he puts it in contrast with being slothful. And this is the same word used in the Proverbs. Um, you're like, well, wait a minute. Wasn't that written in Hebrew? Well, there was a, a Greek uh, translation of the Hebrew Old Testament uses the same word for sluggard. Are you familiar with that word in Proverbs that comes up? Go to the ant, sluggard, lazy bones. Look at how the ant works and, and learn a lesson. All right, so uh, get the picture um, here. People who resemble sloths and slugs. Oh, they're, they're alive, right? But barely moving. I mean, to the naked eye, you don't seem to be getting anywhere at all. You don't, you don't time them with a stopwatch. You get out an hourglass, maybe, uh, for sloths and slugs. The, the question for us is, how is, for, for you and I, how is your zeal for God? Are you moving? Are you growing? Are you accomplishing anything? Maybe you say, well, I prayed the sinner's prayer back in 1986, and I thought that took care of it. thought I was done. That was it. Have, have you wondered? I hear Christians sometimes say, well, I wonder why God just didn't, didn't take me home already. Why, why didn't God just, when you prayed the prayer to accept Christ as your Savior uh, for the hope of eternal forgiveness of sins, hope of eternal life, and why not? I mean, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? Apparently, there's some things He has for you and I to do people to influence, families to raise, churches to build, communities to transform, the gospel to take to new places uh, here and around the world. And this, this is telling us, stop dragging your feet. You need some drive. D- don't be a spiritual couch potato or pew potato. Get going. Now, if this sounds like it's beyond your personality, I, I get it. I, I'm I'm much more of a tortoise than a hare, you know, slow and steady, wins the race, and there's a lot of truth to that, but here's the thing, you got to get going to keep going. (laughs) If you're not going anywhere, that's not winning any race. Slow and steady, okay, that's that's, at least you're going, let's get going, right? 
Now, do you remember science class, Isaac Newton's first law of motion? Objects at rest tend to stay at rest. Objects in motion tend to stay at motion unless acted upon by you know, some other force. Well, here's, here's a law of motion. If God has been at work in your life, he's going to get you moving. You can't stay still. The opposite of the sloth, the slug, in this context is the eager, earnest disciple, the wise and diligent worker, the willing and faithful servant of the Lord. Now, you should be driven by by passages of Scripture, verses that call us to action, like just just two examples this morning. You could find many others, but 2 Timothy 2.22 Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. Does that that sound like a sloth or a slug to you? Flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Uh, Or Philippians 3, 13 and 14, where Paul says, But one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's no slug. Does does your Christian life seem sluggish? Get get going for Christ. Do, Do some personal Bible study, or get into one of our groups, volunteer to serve in a ministry or somewhere else in the community. Do you, do you like to visit people? There are folks at Pinecrest who would love to have you stop by and chat with them and, and take the opportunity before you go to, to pray with them or share something that God has, has taught you this past week. Do you, are you better at working with your hands? Oh, well, there's always some little projects we've got going around, uh, around here, the, uh, but there's people in our congregation who could use a, a helping hand as well. Maybe someone that's, if they don't have anyone handy at their home, I bet you could step right in. Do not be slothful in zeal. And, and the next line is in much the same vein. So here's part two. Get going. Be fervent in spirit. So if the, the first part of the verse is to get you moving, this part is to make sure you aren't just going through the motions. There should be some passion behind it. Just like we said last week, love takes action, but it should not be just an act. That's hypocrisy. You're just, we're just play acting. We're playing a role. That's, that's not real love. Now, the word translated here as be fervent has the idea of, of being stirred up, bubbling up, as in boiling, boiling over, as in somebody needs a light of fire under you. We've got to get you going. Now, before we tease that out, let me uh, clarify one more thing. Maybe you've seen uh, in the translation I'm using, the English Standard Version, there's a footnote. The, the Greek is unclear, that, which is to say it could go either way. It could be, be fervent in spirit, that is your spirit, the, the spiritual aspect of your life uh, beyond just the mere physical, or it could be fervent in the, capital S, spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now, in one sense, either way, you are the one that needs to get fired up, right? But if it's the Spirit that is the best way to understand that, the, capital S, Holy Spirit, then it just clarifies where the passion comes from. And that's, we know that's t- true either way. As Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 
19, do not quench the Spirit. Another, another fire word related to the Holy Spirit's activity. And of course, we're all picturing maybe Pentecost with the flames of fire, the tongues of fire, and the Holy Spirit coming uh, upon the believers in that uh, significant moment. But, okay, okay, all of that, interesting, but the question is, do you have the fire? Do you have the fire? Now, we go back to chapter 8 in Romans, and verses 9 to 11 tell us that if you have put your faith in Christ, then you do have the Spirit of God in you, giving you life, animating you in one sense. But the, the verse we're looking at now, 12, 11, be fervent in spirit, seems to indicate that the fire you have can die down, can start to smolder. You know, that kind of fire where you don't see any flames anymore. Like, it's, I think it's, yeah, okay, stirred up. There's still something there, yeah, but it's, it's not hard to see. Again, kind of like the, mo- the movement of a sloth or a slug. It's like, uh, it's not, is there something there? Okay, I think there is. I think this can be a problem, kind of losing that fervency can be a problem for those who are, are getting a little older, and I'm including myself in that category. And there's, there's a good reason why we associate passion with youth, while, while you know, older folks are you know, starting to mellow out a little bit. Uh, when you're older, your mind, your body is starting to slow down. You've, you've already tried a lot of things. You know, you found some things that work for you, some things you like, some things you don't, and, and so you settle in. You get your routine, you get comfortable, you close yourself off from new ideas because, you know, you, you, you figured it out. Now, there's some wisdom in older folks, a lot of wisdom in older folks. And maybe, maybe you are there and you figured out what you can handle. You, you make fewer mistakes now, praise God. Uh, but, but if you find yourself starting to grow cool spiritually, kind of cooling off, uh, unwilling to stretch yourself anymore to meet new challenges to the faith, uh, ambivalent about the many people that still exist all around us who still need to know about Jesus. That means you need to stir the fire. You need to, to, to stir the flames. You need to get the, the water bubbling again in your life. Young people, do you want a faith that becomes a burning passion for you, a fire in your bones? Hear me say, go for it. Go for it. You don't want a bland spiritual life, and this world doesn't need any more complacent, casual Christians. Look into the Word for all the ways that God is bigger than we can imagine, that His cause is glorious, that He is worthy of all that we are, that how He has made you to bring this world to its God-glorifying potential, and how the mission He has given us makes a difference now and for eternity, forever. Middle-agers, older folks, are the flames dying down? Let your experience... Your wisdom bring your passion into focus. You don't don't have your whole life ahead of you anymore, but how are you using what you have left? Don't fizzle out. May God light a fire under us all. Be fervent in spirit. Third one, part three. Get going. Serve the Lord. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Now, here's the thing. If you just stop at the first two, you can, be, you can be busy, you can be excited, but if you're not serving the Lord in all that getting going, well, none of it matters. 
This is what I was trying to get at a few sermons ago when we were looking at verse 2 of this chapter. Do not be conformed to this world. Our world gives us so many things to get busy about, to get excited about, even good things that are not anywhere near sinful behavior. And I mentioned, I think, for example, sports or working on your house, things that we do. And I, I, I want to come back to that because I, I left, like, I, I don't want to make you feel guilty uh, when you enjoy those things as I do, like watching the Bears this afternoon. There are many reasons why that might feel bad, but you, you're watching it. This is not like, oh, I, sh- I shouldn't be doing this. You know, Pastor Bruce says this is I don't know, he doesn't think it's, thinks it's bad. No, no. it can be good to relax watching a game or if you're an athlete to learn discipline and teamwork. It can be, uh, on the other hand, it could be a wonderful relief from our digital virtual world to get your hands dirty working in your garden or bless your family with some improvements to your home. My point was not to denigrate those things, but we all have to ask ourselves after a busy day, a busy week, eating, sleeping, working, playing, earning money, spending money. Is this all I'm living for? If, if we're all doing, in one sense, yes, we, we're, we're doing the same things as everybody else in the world. But it, there's got to be another level, another way in which, wait a minute, I, I'm not doing all the same things and, and expecting that this is all there is. What, what, if, we, what if as Christians we avoid gross immorality, but we're not serving the Lord. We're just busy. We're just excited about other stuff. Well, let's turn it around. Why not be able to, as as I think the Bible teaches, be able to serve the Lord as you do your work, as you do your play? Uh, What if you could serve the Lord as you pack your kids' lunches for school or mow the lawn? I I think you can. What if you serve the Lord when you show up for work? as a dependable employee with a good attitude, uh, cooperative and creative? Uh, What if you gave your best as a student, as an athlete or an artist, and you're you're like, hey, I'm not here to impress anybody or just to pad my resume or to try to get a promotion or or, uh, make my boss give me special attention, not just trying to fill out my college application. God, I want to honor you with what I do today. Serve the Lord by honoring Him in all the ways you do ordinary life, but this is important, and by making, your, your, making sure your life includes time and attention to the things that are more about God than they are about you. Uh, again, back to that idea of, well, you know, are we just doing everything that everybody else is doing in the world? Is this all there is? There's got to be something more And that more is, well, yes, sometimes it's how and why you do the ordinary things, but there's also needs to be things, time and attention given to things that are more about God than they are about you. In other words, are there things that you do with your time, with your money, with your abilities that only one who serves the Lord would do? Right now would be an example of that. Worship. Whether it's your personal devotions on your own or Sunday morning fellowship, God, we're saying, God, this is your time. This is time where I'm stopping other things to give my full attention to you. Fill my gaze with your glory. We serve you. We bow before you. Or, or mission. Lord, God, do, do you want me to help advance your cause? Even something like uh, volunteering to be a, a tutor or a a, a friend 
at this ESL class or, or a, uh, someone who serves with kingdom kids. And many of you have done that. Thank you. Maybe it would, the overall idea is maybe it would be good, it would be good to do something that you would never do except for the fact that it's an opportunity to serve the Lord. Let's get going. This is what genuine love for God looks like. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. That's how we get going. The next verse, verse 12, is how we keep going. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Let's take that, just that first one. This is part four. Keep going. Rejoice in hope. Now, this is not the first time that uh, Paul has talked about rejoicing in hope. Uh, if you've got your Bible open in Romans 12, put your finger in 12 and go back with me to chapter 5. I'm going to read the first five verses of Romans chapter 5. It's good for us to see here. Again, Paul is, has already talked about this. It's been a long time ago in this series, but uh, we'll refresh your memory. So this great passage, Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we, believers, have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, remember that word hope in the Bible does not refer to wishful thinking, as in, I sure hope so, but to confident expectation, as in, you're my only hope. So it makes all the sense in the world to say, as in Romans 5, 2, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. One day, some of us sooner than others, we're going to see God face to face. That will be the day when all our struggles and our sorrows will be over. The immediate presence of God in all of his holy splendor, glory. And we will be resurrected to life without pain, death, sorrow, tears wiped away, glory. Of course, we will rejoice in glory, right? But the context of the passage, that uh, whether that's chapter 5 or here in chapter 12, verse 12, makes this even more powerful, more profound, because this is rejoicing now in spite of suffering, in spite of loss, in the midst of trials, for the hope that is still yet to come. As Paul says in in uh, chapter 8, hope that is seen is, is not hope. I mean, if, you've, if you've got something, you're not hoping. Well, you've got it. Hope is still like what we're waiting for. We, we believe it's coming, but we're still waiting for that. That's harder to do, to rejoice in hope, in the hope that's yet to come. It's hard to keep going joyfully when now, when it seems like everything now is going against you. Everything now seems to be falling apart. Everything now seems to be pulled away from you. But the hope that we have in Christ says, what's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that they can do to us? Kill us? But they can't take away what God has promised to us. 
Death cannot take it away from us. Cancer cannot take it away from us. A heart attack cannot take it away from us. Uh, Whatever enemies of the gospel, politically, militarily, culturally, they can't take it away from us, what God's promised. That's, that's what we see in, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. Uh, I'll read this. You can go there or just listen. 1 Peter chapter 1, this is, these are, verses are so important, so precious. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice. Rejoice in hope. In this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's why we we have hope, the promise, the inheritance that Nothing, no one can take away from us. And that's why we rejoice. Paul says, so does Peter. We rejoice in that hope. That's something to rejoice in. But don't, if you don't keep the promise in front of you, passages like that, just remembering what God has promised, remembering the faithfulness of God over the years when things looked bleak, when things looked dark, when, things looked, when it looked like he wasn't going to show up, when he, to remember his faithfulness, to remember the promise, to remember the hope, the confident expectation. If all, you, if all you're looking at, if all you see is the opposition that you experience, the decline of the culture, the setbacks for the church, the apparent defeat of the gospel, wars, threat of economic collapse, and environmental disaster. That's not how the story ends. And if anything, it's how we know the end is coming. And the end of the story is victory. The end of the story is glory, rejoice in hope. Or as chapter 5 says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Keep going. You've got a reason to rejoice. Rejoice in hope. Next, part five, keep going. Be patient in tribulation. Let's talk about that word tribulation first. Jesus spoke about a time of great tribulation, and so a lot of attention by a lot of Christians goes to that uh, time uh, immediately preceding his return uh, where it He seems to be saying it's going to be particularly intense. But he also talked about tribulation, suffering, trials, persecution, as characterizing the typical experience for his disciples in this age, that is, in the time between his first coming and his second coming. John 16, 33, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have peace overcome the world. Or Acts 14.22 says 
of Paul that he was, he was going about, traveling around to the churches that he helped to start, helped to plant. And he says he was strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. See, tribulation is not just somewhere out there in the future. It's the experience of believers down through history in this age between Jesus' first coming and his second, his final victory. And when it says here in Romans 12, 12, to be patient in tribulation, the word is, is stronger there than simply, you know, be patient, just, you know, wait quietly, no, no whining or complaining, be patient. Uh, not like that. It has, it has the idea of holding on, of standing firm, of staying the course, rather than giving up or giving in because of the challenges that you're facing. I saw a story just this past week of a, a house church from uh, Shenzhen, China. Uh, they had been harassed for so long by the authorities that the whole congregation of of little more than sixty people decided to flee the country. And this was uh, just before the the pandemic started. So now it's been now more than two years uh, where they have been a people without a country. They first they went to uh, South Korea, and then to Thailand hoping to come to the U.S., but all these places, they're in limbo. They have not been able to gain refugee status. And they've been nicknamed the Mayflower Church, right? The Mayflower, the, the boat that brought the pilgrims who, who had, if you know the history, they, they started out in England, they were being persecuted there, so they went to Holland, and they, they, that didn't work either. So they finally they went back to England, and then finally to America. They're, they're this church without a, a country, and they're trying to find some place where they can just worship God as they... They want to as, as God's word leads them. And now you could look at other believers in China who've, who have uh, faced prison and torture. And I don't suppose you could think, I mean, are these Mayflower Christians trying to take the easy way out? I mean, not so. I mean, they, they have now for more than two years lost, lost jobs, lost homes, uh, lost connections to family in which uh, honoring your elders is uh, very high value in the culture but, but as their, their pastor, uh, uh, Pan Yongyang, said, he said, on earth, Christians are sojourners. We can keep moving forward, but Thailand isn't my destination. Neither is the United States. We are walking toward our heavenly home. Do you hear that? He says, we Christians are sojourners. We keep moving forward. These believers inspired me to keep moving. Be patient in tribulation. Last part, keep going. Be constant in prayer. Now, that may sound like pray constantly all the time. Uh, that's what some people think Paul means when they read 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing, like never stop praying, uh, which seems impractical, impossible, I mean, sure, it's a, a great idea to pray while you're driving to work, uh, pray while you're on the treadmill, uh, pray while you're folding laundry, uh, but you can't pray all the time. I mean, who can do that? You can't pray while you're taking an order from a customer or taking a chemistry test. Maybe, maybe you pray a little bit during a chemistry test. Um, I, w- I would. Uh, the idea of being constant is very much the same idea as in that previous phrase, being patient. Both of these words have the idea, the sense of holding fast, sticking to it, sticking with it. And this is really important. You you realize there's not just two things that you need to hold fast. Uh, Hold fast in tribulation, 
hold fast in prayer. Now, the, the link, of course, is this. The way to hold fast during affliction, during persecution, is to hold fast in prayer, is to hold fast to God in prayer. He's your lifeline. Prayer is your lifeline to the one who has the strength. Ephesians 6.18 says this, praying at all times, like pray without ceasing, uh, be constant in prayer, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, same word translated constant here, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Do you remember the context for that verse, Ephesians 6? The armor of God. How will you survive the spiritual onslaught against you in this life? Shield of faith, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, yes, praying at all times. That's how you stand. That's how, in, he says in Ephesians 6, that's how you can be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Prayer is your lifeline to the one who is the life. How will you keep going if you don't keep going to the Lord in prayer? Now, if if young people might be able to teach us something about passion, something about fervency, we can take a lesson from some of our older saints about being constant in prayer. And I hope they won't be embarrassed if I mention Janet Latour, who I'm sure is watching, or Gordian Ruthie Bell. They, They may be slowing down physically, but they also know how to sit still without their phones. Know how to enjoy God's presence. Know how to bring the needs of others before the king. And you don't even know how much blessing you have because of their praying for you. They and others like them have roots that go down deep. That's why they keep going. They know how to keep going. Maybe we could learn something from those and many other older saints who have been going a long time. Praise God. Why wouldn't you want to ask God every day, not only for daily bread, as Jesus taught us to pray, for your physical sustenance, why wouldn't you want to go to God every day? Give us this day our daily strength spiritually, our our strength to stand, our strength to withstand the onslaught. God, would you give us today what I need to keep going? This This is a great place to end these six short instructions because being constant in prayer is not is not just, well, one more thing to do. It's really the daily presence uh, being in the, in the presence of God on a daily basis, going to Him constantly in prayer, being constant in prayer, that will keep you going, that will give you the life, that gives us, that keeps in front of us the promises that He's made, the hope of eternal glory, so that we can rejoice, so that we can persevere, being patient, so that we can press on, persevere in prayer, persevere through persecution, persevere all the way to the end the hope that we're looking forward to, the hope that brings us joy even today. When you stay grounded in God's love for you, your love for God will grow. A love for God that is genuine, and a genuine love for God gets going, 
and keeps going. May God do that for us today as we will now pray to ask him to do. Would you bow with me? Oh Lord, you know how easy it is for us to slow down, shut down, fizzle out. And for all the ways that, that uh, some here this morning, sit, we're sitting under your word, sitting under uh, what I've said, and, and uh, may, like, oh, pressure, uh, discouragement. I, I'm not moving like I should, or uh, I, I'm too tired already. I can't get going. God, I pray that you would remind us as we look to you, even in this moment in prayer, you are our life, you are our strength, you are the fire lit underneath us, inside us. God, may your spirit fill us to serve you well, to reach out to people in your name, to press on when others come against us, and to rest in the, in the little windows of time, the little pockets of, uh, uh, in our week, the moments that we take enjoying your presence, may it whet our appetite for the hope of your presence forever. Give us something of the joy that we will have then. Would you give it to us now to sustain us? Lord, help our love to be real for you today in all these ways. In Jesus' name, amen.